Good day, my fellow travelers. This is Connie Morgan with the Free Black Thought Podcast. Today, we dabble in a little nepotism for a show about a topic that is on the lighter side, fictional fantasy. And really, this episode is just about the joy of reading fiction generally. My guest is Dylan Morgan, who is in fact my younger brother. And I have brought him on today because he is writing and has partially completed a fantasy trilogy that I think is really quite good. Though I've only read the first book because that's all he has given me. But we are going to dissect the fantasy genre, talking the difference between high fantasy and low fantasy, why black authors typically stick to a certain genre within fantasy, religious influence in writing fantasy, and more to, of course, include the Fallen Gods trilogy, which is the trilogy Dylan has authored. The Journal of Free Black Thought has actually already published a chapter from Dylan's first book in his trilogy, so you can check that out on our Substack. And then Dylan also has his own Substack, linked in the show description, where he is releasing one chapter a week from the first book in the trilogy titled Godfall. Even if you're not a fantasy fan, I think you'll enjoy this lighthearted episode because, remember, there's no such thing as a Black perspective, just Black people with perspectives. Little brother, thank you for joining me on the Free Black Thought Podcast. Morgan is a fairly common last name, but I know our listeners are going to be wondering, are they related? Yes, we are. He is my little brother. Yes, I'm engaging in nepotism. And that's fine, because I think you're going to enjoy this interview that I do with my brother about, about literature, about fantasy, about reading for fun, fiction. And actually, my brother is a what I would consider an up-and-coming author himself, and he's going to talk about his trilogy that he is working on and somewhat completed. About what percent complete are you now, Dylan? Uh, probably about two thirds, but it's never. Two-thirds. It's always going down, not up, in terms of percentage, because always rewrites. And I've read the first of his books. We'll get into that later. I have not read the second and third. I can talk a little bit from my personal experience reading it there. But let's before we get into all things fantasy genre, your trilogy, etc. Please tell us a little bit about yourself, how you grew up, and I'll try not to interject <laughs> since I'm intimately familiar with how you grew up. Yeah. Um, so grew up in a small town in the middle of middle of nowhere and just both both parents really enjoyed reading. My mom read to to me, to us almost nightly got through a lot of classics in, in terms of the, certainly in general, but in the fantasy genre with Lloyd Alexander, C.S. Lewis. And you're talking about classics more in terms of like young reader. Young, yeah, 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 young, yeah, young adult yeah. sort of classics, yeah. And then uh, my dad just, he didn't read to us, but he, he of course read a lot. Um, and so when you live in a gray, rainy area and, Sometimes going outside is is not an option for um, you know weeks at a time. Um, you get you get comfortable with with finding indoor um, activities and and reading is a parent approved one because it's quiet and it's you know you're out of the way you're not running around and so um, you know I, th- that was always something that really uh, stuck with me and I you know I'd be doing other played sports growing up was was active um, but very frequently I had a a book with me um, wherever I went um, and was just always reading in any downtime I could get. And I could say Dylan was kind of equal parts jock, equal parts nerd. Is it nerd, geek? What? 
somebody who likes to read a lot of fantasy, what's your adjective? Um, I don't know, a dork. I, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> what's the distinct distinction between nerd, geek, dork, dweeb? I don't know. You know, I've, I've, I've seen that distinction made in usually in some sort of like comic form. But to me, I think of like a geek, you geek out. I think about it in like the, the verb sense. And so you geek out about something. So like, if you're like really into like Star Wars, like there's a thing that you're like really gravitating towards. It's, it's more of like a focus thing. Whereas like a nerd just means that you're, you know, have some intelligence and you're just a nerd. I don't, I don't... <laughs> <laughs> really solid definition. Uh, yeah. So why are you a dork then and not a nerd or a geek? You're not a fantasy geek. You don't geek out over, over that genre. You know, it's one thing I, I, I find that I really don't because you see a lot of um, like chat rooms and um, author web pages and people go into so much detail into it um, and you read it and you're like, what? I don't remember this happening at all because I'm not taking note. I'm reading just for the, <laughs> the thrill of the story. Um, and so a good um, a good example of this is the Robert Jordan uh, Wheel of Time series. So I read that, I've read that twice now. Um, and it's fun, you know, you, the, you know, obviously I know what's happening the second time, but you still pick up on a lot, but then you look back and see what people are talking about. It, and it's like, I've read this twice and I have no idea what this is. I did not connect these things. Like I enjoyed it both times. And that's, that's, what's important to me, but I'm not going to just like geek out about that and just go into the minutia and, and, you know, have the conspiracy theory chart, you know, the, thread connecting everybody um and so that's that's kind of what i how i approach reading is it's just for the for the fun of it um and in some bigger things uh, brandon sanderson being a a prime example of this like to connect his universe you would need something like that um but like what what do you mean the chart or whatever yeah the chart like because there's different worlds different you know characters that are in multiple books that are on different planets and you just have to kind of like either remember it all or piece it together and um which that's probably the closest i'll get to geeking out because he's got this kind of culminating series right now with a lot of different characters coming in and for that to have the impact on me i'm gonna have to like be like who is this person and what this person sounds familiar did i meet him before um but like even if you don't do that if, if a story can't stand by itself and you have to be like all these callbacks to other things it's not a good story and i think most authors know that and mm-hmm. um appreciate that and they don't they might you know throw some easter eggs in there but um that's not that's not the the purpose of reading for me anyway and i will say too if someone's listening and they're like well if he's not getting into that if he doesn't if he isn't this passionate about it how can he really say he's a true fantasy fan when we were kids my mom actually became so concerned that Dylan was reading so much fantasy and nothing else that she made a rule. I forget what the rule was, Dylan. It was like every three books you read had to be a non-fantasy or something like that. Yeah, because it wasn't specifically like non-fiction. It was non-fantasy. Um, and uh, and so I did hedge that a little because I, I would like slip in some science fiction, do some Orson Scott card in there, mm-hmm. um, which I, I don't know if that broke the rule or not, but after a while, I guess I was old enough that she didn't, she didn't care anymore. So, uh, but yeah, I was definitely going through some, some detailed fantasy stuff, uh, particularly with Ari Salvatore. And um, he's, I've read over 30 of his books 
And how many um, does he have? Um, more than 30. <laughs> I, I have you read 80% of his books, 50%? Um, I'm not sure. He's very, he's very prolific. And I kind of stopped reading him just because I, I kind of just figured, figured out the story and he was bringing back characters who had died. And um, like, I really enjoyed it, but I was like, I can't, I'm going to move on to some different authors and explore a little bit more. But I would say for, for him, yeah, he's, he's probably got around 40, 40 books and, and specifically in this, in the series that I was reading with um, the Ranger and I'm going to butcher his, his name because I'm a reader and I don't geek out on this, but Driss Doerden, um is the main character. And I know a lot of people don't, might not recognize the name Ari Salvatore, but um, he's very big in the like Dungeons and Dragons um, world. He writes a lot of the the quests and um, that story. And I didn't realize it until probably 2018, but um, his world is, is like the um, Dungeons and Dragons world. So like um, Waterdeep, I thought it was, I thought it was like his creation, but no, it's like part of this Dungeons and Dragons world. So um, so he's a big name out there and I did a lot of reading for him, but, you know, I don't think um, for most parents seeing their son go down into like a Dungeons and Dragons sort of thing isn't necessarily what they envision for their for their son. So um, there is definitely some fear there. OK, so you've always been a fantasy fan. And now you're writing your own your own trilogy. Did you know when did you know or decide that you were going to? You're like, I can take a crack at this. I'm going to write my own stories and see how this goes. I think for everybody who reads, there's an interest in creating your own story. Um, and I, I think for me, oftentimes you, when you're reading, you see like, oh, well, what if this went this way? Or what if this went, you know, a different way? Or I wish this didn't happen because, you know, I, I want a happier end or whatever. And so you kind of start formulating your own ideas for stories. And I started, so this current series, I had the idea for it many years ago and started actually writing. So it's the Fallen Gods trilogy is uh, is the working title now. And of course, it didn't start out as a trilogy, but we'll get into that later, I'm (laughs) sure. But started writing it actually in 2015. And after a while, like my initial thought was like, I want this to be like nonstop, go, 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 like engross the reader. And I kind of like a fantasy thriller. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, 2015, I was what, 22 at the time and hadn't really written anything um, of any of any length and just looked back over like a few chapters and I was like, wow, this is garbage. And I stopped writing. (laughs) Um, And then um, it was in um, 2019. I kind of picked it up again. I don't know what, what happened. I was, I guess I was done with dental school and just needed some more hobbies. And so um, started uh, doing it again. And then I read a a trilogy uh, from a very well-known and successful and, decorated author and I just absolutely hated it and the there's just like no redeeming quality to it and I, I sometimes still think about it and you can ask my wife and I just like sometimes just like remember when I read this <laughs> like and I just at that point I was like if I'm going to critique this you know well-known successful author like I should be able to do something 
of that that scale, you know, back it up what I'm what I'm putting down with some action. And so I kind of really focused in then on it. And then COVID happened and my work got shut down. I, I stayed home for the entire month of April um, and I was just writing that whole time. I would wake up, like get up at six in the morning before my wife got up. She was still working remote. I'd wake up before her and then just write all day and do research too. Did you know as things were going to close down for the pandemic, you're like, I know how I'm going to use it this time. I'm going to work on it. Or did you just sort of find yourself at the keyboard and then you're like, and then you thought, well, this is perfect timing. I can just work on my novel. No, I, you know, at, at the time um, and, and the before times, I don't, I don't really remember like the leading up into, into that. I know I was, you know, more actively working on that project, but um, I didn't think I, necessarily plan like this is what's going to consume me for a month mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just sort of naturally took over because you started yeah. to really get into the story okay yeah exactly yeah and so that's how it turned into there's there's a couple ways that you can write there's kind of like the the stephen king method which is you just write you know you have your idea for the story and you just write and um he hypothesizes that things will just come to you um and then there's the more organized way which you can just kind of chart out map out what your the parts of your story um and that way you can make sure you're staying on the rails um and i definitely went off the rails and that's i i was just writing and writing and writing and at some point um, what does that mean going off the rails like your story had too many side plots or too many characters or well that that's kind of the yeah so it went off the rails because at one point I stopped writing and I said, let's see where I'm at in terms of the length of this. And um, I did a word count and I was up to like 200, over 200,000 words. And for um, point of reference, like that's getting into like Harry Potter four or five territory. That's, that's a long book. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't reached the end, right? I was just like, oh, this is a good midpoint. Let's see what it is. Like, oh my goodness. <laughs> like, okay, we need to just dial this back and, and focus in. And so that's what I mean, like just completely just kind of adding stuff in and it's fun. So what, what I would say about, about um, Godfall, the first book um, is that it's, it's character driven and I just kind of drop characters in this, this world that I created and wanted to see how they would kind of work together and because Actually, you, this is this yeah. is probably a dumb question, but people use that term, that phrase all the time. Like it's a character-driven novel, it's a character-driven TV show or movie. What does that actually mean? Because all movies and books have characters, aren't they all character-driven? You know, like what does that mean that it's a character-driven novel? So uh, character-driven. So there's there's a a plot-driven uh, model, and so you, you'll see that with um, things that they involve prophecy, which which my series does, but it's it's in a different way where you're just kind of hitting these, these check marks, these benchmarks along, along the journey. And there's not really any meandering in the story. It's, it's very focused. Um, when I think of that, I think probably the Hobbit is a good example. Like there's not, it's, you know, they get hung up in, in certain places, but it's all pointed towards the same thing. Where as, as character driven, your characters are going to interact in in certain ways, and you put them in a situation, and you know the character because you created them, and you'll be like, "I want them to go through this door," 
But then you realize that your character wouldn't go through that door for whatever reason. And so we end up going a different, a different way. Um, and so that just, rather than, you know, more of a linear story, things just kind of spread out. And it is, I would say, kind of like more side quest sort of things for for character driven. I'm sure people will tell me that's not what a character driven is, but that's what I the way I look at it because there were new characters added into my story because of what a character did. Like I was like, I can't I can't just leave this. I created this situation. This character wouldn't leave this person behind. Therefore, this person is now a part of the story. Does an author know before they start writing? Hey, this is going to be character plot or does it sort of happen organically and how did it happen for you because I know for me when I write I don't I haven't written anything to the extent that you have but short stories and things I often don't even I don't decide this is going to be first person or third person I just start writing and then it it is what it is it just comes out as either first or third person is that kind of the same with plot or character driven or no you kind of have to know what direction you're going before you put pen to paper for me um and this is just kind of a general about um from the way I look at life is I, I know the starting point and I know where I'm, where I want to get. Um, and so in this, in this series, it, I didn't think about anything really in the middle. It was just like, we're going to go from here and get to here and let's see what happens in the middle. I have some other projects where it's more structured and like laying out by chapter. Like this is the start of the chapter. This is the end of the chapter. And I, I do deviate from that a little bit, but it's still, you know, more, more of a linear story. Um, so it depends and I can't speak for all authors, of course, but what, what I, what I do is just kind of have the idea for the story, have the idea for the characters, and then start out by putting those characters in the world and seeing how they interact and how I, you know, I have an idea of how I want them to interact with the world, but, you know, does it work with the the settings? of that world. And that's kind of what will determine the the focus, the the perspective and all that. Okay. So what's, I don't know if it's easier to, to give the whole, the plot for the entire trilogy, which again is called the Fallen God trilogy, or if you maybe it'd be better to just start with book one, Godfall and talk about that plot. Yeah. So um, the, the plot is um, essentially there's, there's been a, a city, uh, city state. There's a, in, in this the continent. There's a bunch of city states, and the the leading city state has been exiled essentially, and violently, of course, as all exiles go. And so the, these people are, are are scattered, and they've returned to their kind of ancestral home, and this follows the the next generation, the first generation that was born completely removed from their, um, the, the city state itself. And of course, these people, they'll want to know, you know, that everything that they hear from the past is built on this, you know, this continent that they have been exiled from. And they want to discover that they want to get beyond just this, this valley, that's just people they've, they've known their whole lives and, and see the world. And so um, it's just kind of about them coming back, re-entering the, the world and, you know, seeing what it's, what it's about. And it's, it's kind of a, a coming of age story. Um, and then it, it morphs, you know, from there, of course, as all stories, there's always going to be a twist in the stories. And so um, it, it comes into to something more about potentially reclaiming the, the, the city they've been exiled from reclaiming that throne. 
And why the, the trilogy is called the Fallen Gods trilogy is because I'm playing with the idea of, of gods being, um, being born from the, the ideas of men. And so if, if a God draws power from its, from its worshipers, and so if the worshipers are, are dead or no longer worshiping that God, then that God uh, dies, essentially. And now these gods, they have the option to um, just go peacefully into the, into the good night and rejoin, you know, just go back to, to, to the nothing or, or when they, when nobody's worshiping them anymore, mm -hmm. the gods have, they have two choices, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they, they can go quietly into the night or they can um, fall uh, to the earth and live out, you know, they, they still have some powers. They obviously have a, a vast amount of knowledge, but they can try to live out a, a kind of mortal life there. And um, so, you know, what we do have you mean kind of mortal. Well, because, you know, you can't be you can't be once a god and then just come down and, you know, go to the tavern every other night. You know, you're going to have you're going to have aspirations, even if you're not a god, because just that that knowledge level. Um, so you're you're not you're not going to be fully fully mortal either you can you can live through a lot you still have some powers there and so it, we just play on a couple different le levels so there's the the humans and gods um humans and fallen gods and then fallen gods and gods and so it's just kind of this this interaction that i've kind of created there which is fun it kind of gets into a little bit of a theological very light um, discussion, but that's part of the reason that fantasy is, is so fun to me is that you get a lot of different, you get action, you can have mystery, you can have theology. So it's, it's a really good blend of just ideas in a single story. So these gods, they're kind of like, uh, like Greek or Roman gods where they're the God of something like their people make wine or something like that. So they're associated, you know, they're kind of like a God of wine or how do you categorize the gods amongst themselves? So the, the, the people, the worshipers will say they create a God, however they, they think it should be. So there's ways, there's one um, God who the people found this um, bear frozen in ice as giant bear. And they said, this must be a God. Um, and so then their, you know, worship, their beliefs formed around that, that idea. Um, there's others you know, similarly that, you know, an object or a thing, whether it's storms, you know, natural events. Um, so these people worship them and it's kind of, you know, just like how it was for the majority of humanity, where you see a thing and you think this thing must have power and therefore is powerful. The, but the, the humans gods, don't really understand that they're creating the God when they do that because they think the God already exists. So like correct. there's a level of ignorance there, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then their belief in that God, who wasn't a God previously, empowers that God to do actions for them. And so... So people start worshipping the frozen bear. Then mm -hmm. like somewhere in just a God forms? How does that work? So there is... It's, you know, behind behind the curtain, uh, we'll say, like, the people don't interact with the, the gods themselves. Um, at least not in, like, their physical form. It's not like, you know, Greek mythology where you know, the gods came down and fought wars with the, with the people. Mm -hmm. They're, they're up doing their own thing. They're, you know, jockeying for a position with the other gods essentially. And so they're trying to play, play each other and 
of course, get more followers and get stronger, you know, contributions. Is there an overarching sort of true God who's always there and always going to be there sort of like, like a Judeo Christian type of God or no? Um, so yeah, that's, that's a topic that gets discussed in, in the book. Yeah. Okay. Have to read to find out what happens there. Okay. I got you. So you've talked about the plot, but what is the genre of your, cause your fantasy book, at least the first one I've read, and I believe the whole trilogy is like this. There actually isn't a lot of fantasy in it, meaning there's not a lot of magic there. I don't think there were any magical creatures or like unicorns and, you know, centaurs and things like that. So can you talk about the different genres of fantasy and then where your book books fit in? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot of there's a lot of different ways to to categorize it. Some of it is is you know pretty pretty clear. You have like your Arthurian fantasy, um, which obviously form is is you know either based on King Arthur himself um, or in that sort of world. But the the way that the easiest way that that my mind can take a look at or can view genres of, of fantasy is in terms of like high and, and low fantasy is how I kind of see things. That's your own term or that's a term people use high. No, that's a, that's a a term that, that other people use. And so, and I, I tend to gravitate more towards high fantasy. And what that means is it's set in, in an alternative world and it has its own rules with you know magic or whatever creatures etc and um so with high fantasy you get a lot of world building and it it can be um that's that's one thing that that draws me into that so like tolkien would be an example of high because everything different world different languages yeah exactly exactly and and for the most part like with the exception of of c.s lewis most of like the older fantasy is either kind of in that Arthurian or, or high fantasy. C.S. Lewis is interesting, right? Cause he, he has the, the Narnia Chronicles, like that's a, a different world, but he's also, you know, based in earth, like his present earth. Um, and so there's, um, that's like a crossover fantasy. Kind of a medium. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. The opposite of the, the spectrum is, is low fantasy, um, and that is set in in Earth or, you know, a world just like Earth. And there's a magical element. So it's kind so of that a... that would be a, like the TV show, like Charmed, right? Would that be kind of low yeah. because they live in a normal world, but they happen to be magical, but most people aren't and don't even know that this other... Yeah. yeah, exactly. Twilight, Twilight would be another example of that, where it's just the world, but there's there's a twist. Now there's werewolves and vampires mm-hmm. and all that. So those those are kind of the the two ends of the spectrum for me. It's how I how I look at it. And and low fantasy, there's you know you can call it mundane fantasy, but it's it's not a it's not a degradation of that type of fantasy. It's just the way it was classified for for whatever reason. I didn't come up with that either. Well, it makes sense, right? Like high fantasy, it's not an insult. It's high fantasy means there's a lot more about the book that is fantastic, right? Because it's all made up and low fantasies, there's there's, just little pieces. So I think any rational person understands that it's not an insult. It's actually a pretty logical way to categorize. Uh, But for all the irrational people out there, just know that I I wasn't. (laughs) Okay. And 
have you read any low fantasy that you like? Um, I have read some. Yes, it's it can be okay at, at times. I just find that um, thematically for those, it, it doesn't interest me as much. But but I have I have read some. And I, I think you and I have talked before about there's been kind of a push. I'm not just in the fantasy or sci-fi genre, but a, across genres and fiction uh, in general to publish more black authors and highlight more black fiction. And you had made the observation that you, it seemed like, at least I don't know that you had any like proof of this, but just kind of anecdotally, it seemed like a lot of the black authors writing fantasy now that are being pushed and promoted are writing more in the low fantasy genre yeah and that's typically a lot of urban fantasy um which is you know a form of low fantasy set in an urban setting because with that fantasy it often deals with issues of of today which um for black people is going to be racism uh, primarily or you know being underserved and in fact i'm going to pull up a a definition here. Um, So if you look up black science fiction, if it'll pull up for me, it's can also be called black speculative fiction. And it's defining characteristics include a critique of the social structures leading to black oppression paired with an investment in social change. And so, you know, very focused and obviously that's not all black authors, but that's kind of the, the, what black science fiction or speculative black fiction is kind of geared towards. And so you see that in a lot of the, just if you look up black authors to read, you're going to see a lot of those types of books. And I think personally, I think it, it short changes what a lot of authors could, could bring out um, because there's, you know, a whole continent that doesn't get sort of any sort of play in, in a lot of the, the other fantasies, right? This is, I mean, I can't think of a book that I've read that really involved jungles. Like that would be pretty cool to, mm. to read a story that really incorporated that different sort of, you know, different sort of climates. Is, is that because it's mostly white people that are writing high fantasy. So they're writing it based on their surroundings, which tend to be European countries or maybe America where there aren't jungles. And so if, it, if there was more black people, literal Africans, mm-hmm. They're going to be familiar with Africa. They're not going to go. I don't know anything about Norway or whatever. Yeah, I I definitely think that's that's a, a part of it because of course you write what you know. Like I've never mm-hmm. I've been in a jungle maybe once in my life, so I I'm not going to just throw down what I think about a jungle. And of course, with high fantasy, you're creating your own world. You can create whatever you want, but it's just not something that I, I've seen for for whatever reason. I'm sure there's books out there. There's just um, none that have come across my way, but most are very definitively forests, right? Because it's fantasy. You like things that it's, it's old, you know, it's talk about old growth forest, the Fangorn forest. It's been around forever. You know, it's, um, whereas the jungle is, is not in that same, same vine, some pun intended. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but um, so I think, I think that is definitely limiting. And so when I see stories that are, you know, just, you know, a story about racism with, you know, wizards, I, I don't, it's not something that, that draws me personally, again, as somebody who doesn't like that sort of low or urban fantasy to begin with. 
but I also think it's just that that push to have something that is empowering is not helpful to people who you just, it's important to get people to read. I think, I think um, not just so that you're not, you know, bothering your parents on, on rainy days, Mm -hmm. but just so that you can broaden your, your horizons a little bit. And if the segment, if if you're saying like, Hey, let's, we need to read these books. We need to empower these black authors and they're going to bring to you an empowering message. Well, that's good and well, if you, if you like that, but if there's another story out there, that's not, you know, about empowering, you know, some, some under, underprivileged or oppressed people that is more interesting to you for whatever reason, then you should be free to, to do that. And so now when you walk into Barnes and Noble, you're going to have a, a thing that says, you know, black, black authors, LGBTQ. Well, it's like, great. Are they good books? Is that something I want to read? Like, you know, just lumping these things together, which could be multiple different genres and just being like, well, you should read it because it's got gay people in it, or you should read it because it's written by a black person or, you know, it has black people, it has black themes, whatever that means. And that's, that's kind of, again, just an off-putting thing for me is because I want to read, I want to read for fun. I'm not here taking notes. I read in my downtime because I enjoy the thrill of reading a good story and seeing how a plot develops and seeing what happens to characters. And so a lot of this messaging just gets in the way. Right. And I mean, good stories always are promoting some kind of moral framework. It doesn't have to be in your face, right? Like yeah. someone, I was just listening to a podcast last night and he was talking about how somebody who's not a Christian would pick up the lion, the witch in the wardrobe and wouldn't have any idea that they're reading the story of the gospel, basically. (laughs) But it's in there, right? It's just not in your face. And a lot of the empowered stories seem to be a lot more, Black empowerment stories seem to be a lot more in your face. They don't have to be, even Harry Potter, right? There wasn't a lot that was in your, that book is full of of moral themes and and questions and, and things that draw even really young readers in. I'd say the only kind of obvious parallel was Dobby probably that was kind of in your face a little bit because he was a slave and yeah it was pretty clear what the message was there but everything else was just woven into a good story right and they're like timeless themes it's a story that we've all read before actually Harry Potter is not that unique the world that she created is somewhat is fairly unique right Um, but it's it's a story that's being told over and over and over again it's a good versus evil story essentially at core. Yeah. yeah, and in and that sort I mean, there's obviously there's the the bad guy is bad sort of framework, which is something it's it's kind of a trope that I don't I think it's it it's convenient for an author. Uh but when you just have like Voldemort, he's bad. He he tortures and kills people because they're they're muggles or whatever. But it's it's true also that there are just bad people out there. Um but there's a lot more and you especially see that with the anti-hero movement out there now where it's, um, you know, you have more gray areas. And I think that's big right now because people out in the real world, it's, you know, the literal Hitler and the good guys, you know, whether or not, you know, it can't be literal Hitler, literal Hitler is dead. But, you know, that's that's kind of the 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 lines that have been drawn. And so if you get into a, into art and try to like remove yourself from that, you're going to see like, 
here's a here's a guy Deadpool who is objectively not a good person, but he's trying to do good things, and he might be doing them poorly and offensively, but that's fine because he's on the right track to do something good. Um, and so I think that's something that I enjoy watching, and of course it's getting a little overplayed now too, but. It's just fun to see something that operates in a more gray space. Yeah, you know, I mentioned that your book specifically has a little bit of magic in it, a little bit of what I think just the layman would consider fantasy. So who is it for? What type of reader, what type of fantasy fan would like like your books? And maybe even someone who's not into fantasy, but they would like it because it has this theme in it or uh, this storyline or whatever. Yeah, so um, thematically, it's, you know, kind of a coming of age um, story. And my initial thought for it was that it would be kind of like a young adult uh, series, which young adult is is actually a relatively new term, but it's it's not it's not genre specific. Of course, it'd be young adult fantasy, young adult science mm-hmm. fiction, young adult literature, whatever. And so that was kind of my initial thought. And then as I was writing, there are some some more adult themes or not necessarily adult themes, but uh, you know, things that young adults is 12 to 18. And I would think this, this book would be more for like a 16 to 18, just based on some of the things that got into it. But that was kind of my initial goal was something that is, is fun for it'd be a bigger book for younger readers. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, I've, after reading the fourth Harry Potter, like I felt accomplished. That was a, a big, hefty tome. Yeah. And uh, it was easy to read for for young Dylan. And mm-hmm. um, it's enjoyable. And that's, there's a feeling of. And there's serious stuff that ha- I mean, Cedric mm-hmm. Diggory just gets murdered like in a flash yeah. and you're a little kid reading that like, holy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, it's that that's how old I was. What? Probably in like third or fourth grade or so in that no it would have been like second or third grade when that came out so I was seven eight ish and so that was a big you know that was a big accomplishment and so with this a a little bit more there's you know death in it but there's there's some other things that just for me personally I wouldn't want to my third fourth grader to necessarily be be encountering and so well a 12 year old is sixth grade right yeah yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. But it's just a little insider baseball here. When I read Dylan's book, there was a couple things where I said, I'm not sure. I sort of assumed it was for young off, young, uh, young adults. And I don't know why I did going into it. But there was a couple things in it where I said, I don't know what you're I'm realizing I don't know what your target age is. But, you know, even I sort of like raised a raised a red flag and, was, and said, I don't know if I would want my kid reading this which it's fine if it's for old an older audience but some of these things either I would want to be coming alongside my child to help explain some stuff yeah. or um, wait till they're a little bit older yeah well there's and you know when I first started especially R.A. Salvatore there's nothing like it's not like a smut novel or anything like that there's nothing <laughs> but you get you get you notice things and um, his first his first book I read um, I was probably in like fourth grade maybe. And I went, I reread it and I was like, Ooh, I missed this. Like and <laughs> I just did not comprehend what was being discussed at all. I was like, oh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there, there's some uh, aspect of that, but 
Which that's yeah, actually kind my, of beautiful, right? It's actually kind of beautiful to go back and read a book when you're older and go, ah, things are clicking differently than they did back then. Back then I thought I was just reading a good story and now it's like, that's how I feel about Watership Down. When I was a kid and we read Watership Down, this is a fun adventure story about rabbits, yeah. yay. And then I read it when I was older and I was like, oh, you know, there was different, they just hit very differently, right? Even though it's yeah. still appropriate for a young um, yeah. a young reader. Yeah. And that's, that's, I mean, that's, that's one of the, the great things about good art is that it's, it's, it stays with you and then it grows with you. Mm-hmm. And so it's, yeah, that's, again, I, I'm trying to get into the habit of rereading one series every year um, just so that I can touch base with that and be like, how does that, how does that feel to me now? Is, does it feel new? Does um, am I like, wow, I, I read this. This is not what I remembered, <laughs> you know? So, mm-hmm. uh, but, um, as far as the, the question of like age goes, the one thing I, I, I'd like to add here is just that it's important. Like you can have a, a story with some very horrific violence. You can have it be, you know, more graphic, but, morally for it to be a good story at least for me it needs to be pointing morally in a good direction Mm -hmm. and so a lot of people with the the song of ice and fire which is the game of thrones series a lot of people get up in arms because there's a lot of incest there's a lot of um i shouldn't say there's a lot there's a specific case of incest and there's a lot of sex and brutality which you know back then there's going to be a lot of sex and brutality but a lot of people get hung up on the incest and how that's awful and i would say yes incest is awful and that incest started a world war essentially so it's not like the people in the book were like yeah incest is fine it was like no it literally right. started a world war right. and so that was moving in the in the right direction or i shouldn't say moving it was looking in the right direction we're saying like this is bad we are going to go do some you know, brutality to each other. Right, 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 right. Yeah. The problem I would have with my child reading a story about incest is if it's like celebrated and normalized and incest is great and la-di-da. It's fine if there's incest in it, like you said, and there's consequences that reinforce a moral framework that I want my children to be learning and growing up in. Yeah. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, those, if it is something that is very, like it's fine if, if incest is, is mentioned as long as you said it's moral or it's not moral incest, but you know, pointed yes, morally yes. in the right direction. Mm-hmm. But the, where it kind of crosses that line is how graphic you're going to be about, you know, whether yeah. it's incest or regular sexual scenes or graphic scenes. And that's where I tried to keep it clean in that sense. Like there's no, there's nothing graphic, right. like nothing is painting a picture in your mind about something really graphic happening, but there is some, you know, darker right. points of the story. Yeah, I think generally speaking, when it comes to like really violent deaths or rape or whatever, these horrible things that do need to sometimes happen in stories to make them realistic and, you know, uh, addressing human nature in a, in a realistic fashion. A lot of the times it's, you can give the person consuming the art a lot of freedom to imagine what that, you yeah, know, you, it's a, it's enough to say they were raped brutally, and that person can imagine what that looks like, or they were killed gruesomely, you know, and they lost limbs in the process. And then you can let them just imagine what that looks like. I would say, like when I watch movies, 
usually the sex scene is unnecessary. I mean, like the literal scene with the people having sex, like it's very rare that I watch a movie and I'm like, I needed to see that. That really helped me. Actually, I don't know yeah. that I've ever seen that in a it, it, when it's a consensual sex scene. It's enough to just have them close the door and walk into a room. Like I don't need to see the rest. I know they had a lovely time. Sometimes I do think it's necessary to paint that picture in a rape scene. Though even yeah. sometimes that is it's enough to just show that they close the door and the girls, in, you know, and then you can imagine yeah. what that happens. There's a couple movies that come to mind where I, I thought, you know, seeing that happen. And one of them, well, one of them is very famous, right? The girl with the dragon tattoo. That's yeah. a scene that everybody brings up. But it, I, I do think you, that the, it was helpful to actually see that. Yeah. And then there's another movie I'm thinking of. It's actually a book too, where it's actually not a rape scene. The girl just didn't have any respect for her own body anymore. And so she let, some guys just like have their way with her and it was so like dehumanizing and just the way she wasn't into it and she was just like a rag doll and just she had given up on life basically and was close to suicide that was a helpful scene I felt to really see it helped me understand her mental state but other those are my only two examples that I can think of in a movie I would have to think harder about books because books generally do give you more of that creative freedom as the consumer of the art to think of it however you want yeah. Think of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree a hundred percent with that, and I think that with with writing, and it's one of the things I always get a laugh out of authors writing sex scenes because I don't know. It's like people trying to be clever and use new euphemisms, and it's like we don't, we don't, we know what's happening here, <laughs> and if we don't know what's happening here, we're probably too young to worry about it, and so just like just get get through it we don't we don't need you know reaching for the the sky or whatever you know <laughs> I, I don't even know man um but yeah just just keep it simple and there's i can't say in in reading that there's ever been a sex scene and i was like thank god that was in there because i just really <laughs> needed it didn't know what was happening otherwise uh, uh, maybe if it's some weird sci-fi movie where it's like a human with like an animal or something you're like how did that even work ah oh, they explained it okay yeah i don't want to i don't want to see that I, that's <laughs> yeah that, that's a that's that that might be your thing you can ask those no, it's, not. <laughs> it's really not it's really not and actually just to be clear to the audience this at least your book as it was any teenager i would let even like a 13 year old i would have been okay it's just if you wanted to get a little bit younger, there was a couple things where maybe yeah. there was room for pause where, like I said, I would maybe just come alongside them or it'd be a book that we'd read together or something like that. So I could sort of guide them through some of those things. But I actually love that because one thing that I hate about Avengers, like this superhero genre that's really popular right now in movies, it, where, where would they fall the fantasy? Are they, that's fantasy, right? How are they categorized? Um, I, I feel like... To me, I think of comics, like comic book superheroes, as their own thing. But it would depend. I mean, there's like, yeah, there's a superhero fantasy like section, but it it fall into kind of an urban or low fantasy sort of setting. I think for the most part, um, there is you know when you're creating other worlds, like you know if you're just you know, Thor comic that's set in Asgard, you know, is that high fantasy? I, 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 I don't really think so, but. But it kind of is. I mean, it's I kind, mean, of, it's yeah, kind of, yeah. You're creating your own world. 
maybe be yeah. considered a crossover fantasy. Um, but typically, you know, the uh, the Avengers as we know them from TV would be like a low or urban fantasy in, in the way I see it. I actually don't have a problem with that. And I've had a lot of fun. I'm kind of over it now. I'm I'm like five yeah. or six movies behind now because I've gotten so bored with it. But the reason I've gotten bored with it is because there's no stakes. Everybody dies and comes back to life and they're not really dead. And then, you know, when people, characters, it's very obvious when characters are going to get killed off because they say, oh, my contract's ending. <laughs> so there's no, yeah. like you knew Robert Downey Jr. was done because he was done making the movies. So, and it would be more interesting to kill somebody off, even though they have a contract that keeps going. You know, I don't know if that's legally possible, but you know what I'm saying? I, I want to be surprised sometimes because that's how real life works. And I will say that in your book, you kill off a character where I kind of, I don't know if I said it out loud, but I said, holy, you know, I was, I said, he did that. I mean, it was, it was heartbreaking. It was, it was brutal. It wasn't like graphic or anything, but just the person that died and the way that they died and how quickly it happened and how there was no warning. I mean, a lot of the times in fantasy, okay, they're going into battle. Who do I think is going to die? Because somebody's going to die, right? Like you can kind of mentally prepare that somebody's going to die when, when those scenes happen. And this was not yeah. the type of scene. This person just got killed off like kind of randomly. And so I did appreciate that. And I think it's important for children to be exposed to that too. Like even though it was kind of hit me right in the gut, that's how life works. And so I'm not afraid of exposing my younger, young adults or older, you know, a little bit more mature children to that. I don't know if an eight-year-old needs to be reading a scene like that, but really a, a year or two older and that kind of stuff, I think their kids can handle. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's, it's hard to kill characters because, you know, there's things that in your mind that you want to do with them, but again, you have to weigh things with what is, what is real. And is it, is it real that, you know, all of your characters survive everything? No. And that's, um, and frequently when that happens, there's some deus ex machina that, that appears. And that's kind of one of the, one of the tropes I uh, take on um, throughout this, this series um, in a, in a kind of playful way. Um, I like to think and because if it's not real, people pick up on it quickly and mm-hmm. they they know that there's something wrong with that story. And it's it's not something that it's going to to speak to them. If it's, a, you know, as when we're little kids, you're told the good guys always win. But a more real take on on that. So first off, the good guys don't always win. And but a more, you know, young adult approach that would be the good guys always win eventually and so that there can be highs and lows um to that and if everything is a high or or your low is you know just we're not as good as we thought we were then that's not not really any sort of stake involved there yeah so your characters need to have stakes so that your reader can have stakes as well right and if and if you're an american at least you're used to the like we literally kind of always win, right? Like that's, but at great cost, you know, mm. frequently at great cost. And so that's, that's a way to approach it as well. And I remember I was very young, but I used to ask dad whenever he finished a book, I'd say, did the good guys win? Expecting him to just say yes every time. And one time he finished a book and he said, you know what? This was a book where the good guys, the good guys didn't win. The bad guy won. And I said, but there's another book, right? <laughs> there's a sequel yeah. or something. 
no, this is the only book. The bad guys, the bad guys won this one. I, I was not shook to my core. It's not like I went yeah. home to pretend like I was this little philosopher and went in the corner and sipped tea and thought about it for an hour. But it did. I, it's a core memory, right? I still have that memory to this day because yeah. I thought, oh, the bad, the bad guys can win sometimes. You know, I didn't, I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> yeah, and it, and it. it I, I don't know what book you're talking about, but I do know that it wasn't like a sports team. It wasn't like, oh, yeah, right. in this book, the, the Knicks no. won or something. Yeah. I don't, nobody cares about the New York Knicks, so I should have come out. <laughs> the, the Red Sox won, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, it, I don't remember what book it was. I don't even know what genre it was. It could have, if it's our dad, right, it could have been sci-fi, Western, or some kind of like Tom Clancy type of yeah. spy. Well, and that's actually... An interesting one of his favorite series, and and I read it, and I just I loved it. It's uh, the Durini um, series by Catherine Kurtz, and there's there's a couple sequences in it. There's kind of like your prequels, um, which were set you know a number of years before the the sequels. I guess would be probably like you know a few generations uh, removed, and the the prequels aren't aren't happy they they end bad um and that that could have been that could have been what he was reading if he was rereading that because i remember getting through that and being like damn like there is how 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 did we get to where the the sequels come out because this is this is dark and but like i said the the good guys win eventually like the good the good guys lost pretty bad in the, in the prequels but you know as over time, the good guys win, and mm-hmm. I think that's that was the the key to that. And just I read that when I was in in dental school, so um, I was you know old enough to really understand and appreciate what what Catherine Kurtz was doing. Um, but it was it was a dark, um, you know, and you felt that like after reading it, it's something you felt like okay, this guy's dead and everybody's dead mm-hmm. and. Somehow we they they survived because I I know they're the sequels but you know this is this is rough and so you you feel that and that's um, again just great storytelling so, um, from from Catherine Kurtz there. Okay, and so what what where is your series your trilogy in the high to low fi and is it going to change at all? So in the first book, which is the only one I've read, there was uh, like you've explained, there's these gods that have fallen because they don't have followers anymore. Now they're walking around amongst men and they have little bits of, ma- you know, they, they're kind of like tricksters. It's almost like, yeah, I don't yeah. want to call them magical. They just have little like first little things they can do here and there. Sort of like, oh, what's that movie? Uh, and it's like, I think it's a book too. The Adjustment Bureau, how the dudes mm-hmm. with the hats can just kind of, they just bump you here yeah. and there just to move, keep the plot the way that the boss, the big guy wants it to be. That's kind of how these, the gods are in my mind. Yeah. I don't know if there's a you know a puppet master, but is it going to change? Are there going to be any more fantastical elements of creatures or anything like that? Uh, and then where does that, where does that place you? Because you've created a different world, but it's not, it's not as high as Lord of the Rings, right? So where do you fall? Um, so, you know, I don't know that there's, you would parse out the categories in, in, in such a way. I think that this would be it. It'd be high fantasy, and it would be epic fantasy, if if nothing else, for the the length of it. But it, um, 
in in like comparison to like a, a Tolkien or a Sanderson or um, like those that is just a world building on a different magnitude, but it still falls within the the same genres. Um, and I like there's not going to be any more fantastical creatures. In fact, there's a line where it's that in the book that you know just says that you know magic is not real. Um, and anytime you've seen it, it's just been a, a fallen god. And so I and again, that's something to just keep simple. I didn't want to create, you know, elven languages or anything like mm-hmm. that. I don't want to get into the minutiae because that's not the type of reader I am. It's not going to be the type of writer I am to, to get really get into the minutia of, of that sort of stuff. It's um, hard enough for me to, to create a map. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, so that, that's where I, it's, it'd still be a high, high fantasy because okay. it's a world with its, it's a, it's a different world with its own rules. And then you can call it epic for, for length, if nothing, nothing else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I, when I kind of describe it to people and I called it a fantasy because it, it obviously feels like a fantasy, right? Like it's set in sort of that medieval other world time that we're all accustomed to. And but then when if somebody asked me for more details about the fantastical elements, I would say, oh, well, actually, there's really not that much magic in it. But if yeah. but you know it's a fantasy when you're reading it. it. But if there wasn't those, if there wasn't the fallen god element, or if the if the gods fell, but then they didn't have any of these kind of magical abilities, would it still be fantasy? Like, even though it very much feels like an epic, like fantasy, yeah. even if there's no magic in it? Yeah, there doesn't there doesn't have to be any. If you think like Arthurian fantasy, right? There's not obviously Merlin's a figure in right. there, but he's not in every story, um, and so that's there's an element of like it's some of it. You know, it could be close to like a historical fiction sort of thing. If but um, you know, but these these cases, you know, there was no King Arthur, so it's not historical. It's just you know we call it fantasy because it's a different, a different world, even if it's set in Britain um, with, you know, swords and yeah knights. And that's kind of, you know, just another style of fantasy. Okay. And so you've got, there's two, this book is one of those books where it, there's different perspectives, you know, the chapters yeah. shift back and forth. There's kind of two plot lines that convene at the end of the, yeah, really starting to convene at the end of the first book, because there's there's two different pairs basically that are making their way to the same place and they're connected in a certain way. So, is it okay for me to say? I guess you you one set is cousins and one is a brother sister, right? Yeah. And so, but these two cousins are making their way on their epic, and then the brother sister are making their way on their epic, and then they eventually cross paths and are connected in ways that they don't even understand yet. Just from my perspective, having only read the first book, I assume they go on to understand that in the later books and realize how they're all interconnected. And was that something that you knew that you were going to do beforehand, have these different, the different perspectives when you had the idea back in 2015 or whenever that was, or did that come kind of as you were really digging in, you said, okay, I'm going to have every chapter, every couple chapters or whatever it is, kind of rotate back and forth between these two different pairs. Yeah, I knew there was going to be a couple different different perspectives, and they would have to connect. Um, I didn't quite know the the when, where, and how, but I knew that was going to happen. Um, it turns out, so you know, as opposed to like a 
George R. R. Martin or Robert Jordan, um, who have, you know, tens of perspectives. I, I have, I like to say three and a half perspectives that I, that I write from and that keeps it simpler. It, it definitely makes it shorter, even though this book is long. Um, <laughs> it makes it a, a shorter read. And, and hopefully again, it's, it's about seeing these characters and how they interact. And so one of my, even as I'm doing my rereads and revisions and edits, every time I get to the part where they, these two people, the, the cousins and the siblings collide there. Um, like I still just like read it smiling. Cause it's just like such a triumphant moment for me as, as the writer to see this, these things kind of collide together and uh, just the way it plays out. A lot of books have different perspective, you know, will tell the story from a different point of view, but almost because they have to. So like, you know, um, like Bilbo gets separated from the group. So there's a, you know, there's some pieces of the story that are only told from his perspective and then has to go back. Yeah. You know, if you're going to tell both sides, you have to sort of split. But this book isn't like that, right? I just wanted to make that clear. It's sort of like, it's fun because there's two different adventures going on simultaneously. And we've all read books that are like this, I think. Before, yeah. but, so it's not like it's, it's this new thing that you've come up with, but there's a difference between, okay, the characters got separated in some sort of epic they got separated and so now you are reading about both of them from the two different perspectives versus this is two groups that aren't connected at all until suddenly they are connected and so that's kind of fun yeah. uh, to read it that way I will say I read this book last year actually it's probably the best fiction book I read and it was written kind of the same way that yours was and that it was different perspectives and these two characters and I actually it was like two and a half characters these two and a half characters weren't connected in any way. It was like two different stories going on in the same book and they connect a little bit in the end, but really actually they weren't even that connected. And this author in badass form killed off one of the perspectives. So like in the middle of the book, the chapter ends and you're thinking, she can't be dead. She Is is she dead? I, I, that's, that's the main character. There's still like 200 pages left. <laughs> Whose perspective am I going to read for? And then yeah. the author turns on somebody else's perspective so another character came in that you weren't hearing from you know she was in the book but you weren't yeah. hearing it from her perspective and then all of a sudden you heard it from her perspective she replaced that character that was killed off essentially and that was cool I, I thought yeah. that was fun and totally caught me off guard right I, I did not expect that character to be killed off yeah I think I've only read one book that was that was like that with limited perspectives where a character was killed off and it definitely hits different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're reading it and you're sort of, even though it was obvious, there's no way this girl could have survived what had just happened to her. If what I was reading was true. Right. You know, I get a couple, I even get a chapter or two later and I'm like, well, I guess she's really dead. <laughs> you're thinking like there's yeah. some kind of weird twist where she's going to come back, but she never came back. She was dead. So uh, I appreciate that style of writing and, and think it's, it's pretty fun. Uh, something interesting about the fantasy genre and sci-fi when we talk about uh, kind of this intersection and th this push now to promote women authors and black authors and different minorities and queers and all this kind of thing. Uh, the most popular genre in America is the romance novel. That's yeah. in, It's like 90% women that read it. I'm assuming it's close to maybe not fully 90% female authors, but because you got people like Nicholas Sparks and stuff like that. And there's different, you know, genres within romance too, right? 
Um, yeah. There's more of the pure trash novels versus Nicholas Sparks, who I think is trying to tell a little bit more of a, I don't read romance novels, so I'm kind of talking out of my butt right now. But I do, you don't see necessarily a push to get more men, you know, writing writing romance novels. Yeah. Uh, but you do see a push to get more women or to promote more women in these other genres. And when I was looking at the breakdown of like, who reads what? Stereotypically, you think of sci-fi guys as men. Men are reading sci-fi. There's some women that like sci-fi too, of course, but mostly men. And I actually sort of thought the same thing about fantasy, which was stupid because when I really started thinking about it, I said, no, like a lot of women really do like fantasy. And when I looked at the stats, sci-fi readers do tend to be male. It's a male-dominated audience. Uh, but in the fantasy genre, it's close to 50-50. Men outpace women a little bit, but not by a ton. And I'm wondering if that's because, uh, like, I guess in your opinion, why is that? Because to me, sci-fi and fantasy are sort of cousins. Uh, it's it's world-building a lot of the time, different languages, different creatures. There's a lot of overlap with people who enjoy both genres. But for some reason, women really skew hard fantasy and not so much sci-fi. Why do you think that is? Um, I think probably one of the bigger reasons is that because fantasy is more likely to involve romance. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm not really kidding when I, when I say that there's, um, no, I know, yeah. so that's, and there's some, if you get out there, like there's some, they answer your question of like, how does animal or human and, and beast uh, get together? Nah, you know, that's your thing. I have never read such a novel, but. Uh, <laughs> it exists somehow. How do you know it exists? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, well, anyway, uh, <laughs> so that, that's a big aspect of it. And that's, uh, but also I think. Why isn't there romance? I mean, in sci-fi books almost always have male and female characters. Why, why isn't there romance in sci-fi too? You know, I can't, I can't answer that. You know, why there's, I think, I think that sci-fi gets a little bit more techie, mm-hmm. I would say. And so that there's, there's a lot more detail. And so when you're trying to work out these larger problems in physics, there's not, your romance doesn't, doesn't hit the same as, <laughs> you know, somebody, you know, fighting a, a dragon or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you're more into the concept than, than the story. And that's, that's one reason I, I read a little bit of sci-fi, but if you, if you get too deep into it, it gets pretty, pretty clunky in my opinion. Um, so you have to understand these, these concepts to understand the, the story. What's the the book? Uh, it's not the astronaut. It's the, the one with Matt the Damon, the Martian. Yeah. That author talks about how, and I've read that book and the author and talks really about, are. yeah, how much research he did to make sure it was, scientifically as accurate as possible yeah and it it did get into the weeds you know right of like how this guy was was living uh in space i honestly don't care like i just believe i believe you when you say this works when you say if you put a plant here and it'll grow in space i believe you like you don't need to to explain to me i'm like you i don't need all that extra and maybe that's some of the different that is some of the that is the difference right between the male and female mind as to what and you're saying you know you're saying i'm not you're saying you're not really like that either and you're a male and i would say i have actually male a lot of male tendencies in my personality type but i still i'm still not interested in i'm not reading the martian because i want to read a science book 
if I want to yeah. read a science book, I'll read it the science book. I'll go watch YouTube videos to learn how the science behind it. But I guess some people like their science mixed in with the fiction. And that's actually like, kind of cool. I sort of wish I was that way, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice if you read it, read something or watch something and it makes you ask the question, you know, so something is really wild and you're like, could that happen? And there's some some things in stories that that they actually dumb down or not dumbed down, but reduce the magnitude of because they don't think people will believe it. And so I think in one, it was the John Dillinger movie um, with, oh goodness, who's the guy who plays Jack Sparrow? Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp. And in that they have him jumping out of like a second story window or something to escape. When the reality was he jumped out of like a fourth story window. Mm. Like, yeah. so there's, there's a lot of that, like, does it matter? Like either way, like it's like, you know, you're jumping out of a window from, from high, higher up than I would want to. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, does that matter to the story? Not really, you know, once, once the concept is in place, but it's cool to know that you can look up and see, you know, if they had actually left him jumping out of whatever the actual height was that he jumped out of. And then you look it up and see, and you're like, dang, like he really did that. That's crazy. So that kind of like pushing, obviously, that's not a, a question of, of physics and spaceman or whatever, but right. um, <laughs> I think that's, and that's for conversation. If you, you want your, your, your work to, to stir some conversation of, and that's a, that's a good way <laughs> to throw somebody out of a, out of a four story window or have somebody grow plants out of their own poop or whatever it was in the Martian. <laughs> yeah. I don't even remember the details, but. It, it got very nerdy, a little little too nerdy for me to be. I yeah. mean, I enjoyed the book, but it was some of it was over my head. And there is there is some romance in your series, correct? It seemed like maybe it was budding there at the first book. Yeah, yeah. There's there's. Is yeah. that something you know going into it? Do you write for your audience? Do you do you kind of know like people who read fantasy expect some romance? I mean, not all. I mean, there's no romance really in like The Hobbit, um, and obviously. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe of Their Children. There's no romance in that. Yeah. Um, but even Harry Potter has romance. Avengers have romance. Star Wars has romance. You know, people sort of expect that and want that and crave that because that's part of the human experience, right? The dance between male and female. Yeah. So do you know that writing? You, do you know, okay, there's gonna, I'm gonna have a romantic plot line in here somewhere or does it come up organically? How did- I knew I wanted one. Um, a lot of my favorite books have a a romance line in them and it's not like the focus but there's some sort of you know subplot in there that that involves that and it's always enjoyable to see those things to see things where you want a happy you want happily ever after um or as close as you can get it if you can make it work into your story um and so you know having read a lot of stories and been like wow i really enjoyed this kind of subplot um i i knew I wanted something like that. Um, again, I, I can't, I don't know when and how I decided it would, it would take place, um, in, in my story, but, um, it was, it was something that was going to happen regardless. And once you see the characters, I think you'd be like, okay, yeah, like something has to happen here, but. Yeah. I guess that's the point of kind of a character driven novel at a certain point you're going to write characters and you're like they can't not fall in love like they clearly yeah. 
even if it doesn't work out in the end, like something would happen between these two personality types because I've seen it a million times in real life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And when it comes to being a, a, a Black author, aspire, I, or you've written books, that makes you an author, you're not published yet or anything. Uh, but, you know, there's, I don't know if it's rumor or truth. It seems like it's truth. I've heard it from a lot of people that, you know, it's a white, straight white guys can't get published right now, or at least not easily, unless you're established and you, you know, but breaking into the business is a lot more difficult. Can you, when you're writing and you're proud of what you've written and you think it's good and it stands on its own, whether you're black, Asian, white, or whatever, what are your thoughts as you're about to pursue publication potentially? Are you going to like play up the black card? Are you going to, you know, grow your hair out and put, you know, cornrows yeah. in yeah. <laughs> or or is it almost like hey you need a picture of me just read the work and see if you like it or you know what do you what are your thoughts i think anybody so a brief anecdote about myself so when i was uh, applying to colleges like i checked that black box for everything i wanted all the scholarships i wanted you know whatever advantage i could get to get in um, and I, I deeply regret that I did benefit from that, but I, I regret that because it's not, it's not true and it shouldn't matter either. Um, what do you mean? It's not true. Um, just to check the black box be like, yep, I'm black. Um, oh, and not also check like the white box. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You never, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so now I, I will check either black and white, or if there's only one option, I'll check other. Um, because that's, that's the truth. And I had a, somebody, um, called me for a survey and they asked like, what is your race? And I said, black and white. And they said, which do you identify more with? And I said, neither. Like, I don't, how do I identify? I mean, I, I understand conceptually how you can identify with one more than the other, but you know, I, I try not to view the world through that lens. So. Um, and both our mother and father were in our lives and important parts of our yeah. lives. It almost feels like you're insulting one of them by saying I yeah. or the other. And there's parts of you that fit more with, one or the other culturally or otherwise, right? Personal, if, yeah. if you're just talking purely about your mom and dad and then also the different cultures. Okay, anyways, go on. Yeah, so I, I regretted that doing that, you know, because like I, you know, I wanted them to think that I had, I was a Rastafarian showing up, you know, I was like <laughs> dark as Wesley Snipes, you know, like here we go. But so I would never do that. And I think, you know, I'm not, I do this, for as a as a as a hobby right i have a day job i when i started writing this i had no intentions of ever doing anything with it um in terms of trying to get published it was just a story that i had and that i loved putting down um on paper and so i'm not i'm not interested in just like whatever i can whatever i have to do to get published i'm going to do it if you know if it takes dreadlocks if it takes pornos what like i'm not interested in that um Mm -hmm. i think for most like no one wants to be like a, an affirmative action, you know, author. No, you want your work. No, because if it's dollar signs attached, I think some people are willing to flush their dignity down the yeah. drain if they get paid enough, which, you know, to each their own, I guess. But well, yeah, you could definitely pay me enough to, to, <laughs> to do my story. But, but that's not, you know, you don't want that. You want your, your work to stand on its own and you, you want to be, you know, a credible author and, and not just somebody who uh, I was looking at some of the the agents looking for for stories. And it's, 
you know, some of it's, you know, just your basic, I'm looking for nonfiction, I'm looking for fantasy, young adult, whatever. But then a lot of it's like LGBTQ and it's like, well, I'm not going to just, you know, make characters gay to just fit in that category. So, you know, I'm, it has to make sense. I want my story yeah. To be, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you know about the kind of the black fantasy author scene as it is right now? Are there any hi-fi black authors that you've read or know about? I mean, I could list off a couple that people just talk about it. You personally, are you reading any of them? Do you know of anybody that you are following their work? Um, there's a couple, couple um, authors that I, that I have kind of in my, to, to buy later. I've got a, a backlog, like I'm sure many people yeah. do a backlog of books that need to be, to be read. And so I've said no more buying until you get through this, this backlog a little bit. But and some of the authors you've read, you might not even know what their ethnic background. Yeah, and that's that's the other thing. You can't really discriminate in a in terms of authors, whether that's for women or black or or whatever, because you can only get so much out of a name, mm-hmm. right? There's there there's a, an issue. So, um, for instance, like R. A. Salvatore used to take like a a, a whole bookshelf at Barnes and Noble. And then you have people like Robert Jordan who have a number, you know, they, they take up a big section. So you can, you can say, well, because of these old white men are, are so prominently placed here, we can't bring in newer authors. And that's, and that's fair because, you know, there's only so much space in a, in a Barnes and Noble or whatever bookstore. And so like, we know people are going to buy these. We can just have, you know, put those somewhere else, have them, you know, one book of each in the back. And then if somebody wants it, well, like, yeah, we got, we got a thousand of those in the back, but how are you going to expose those newer authors? Um, and so I think that's, that's a worthwhile debate to, to be had, but as far as like me reading them, like I've, I don't know what the author looks like. And if they use, you know, if it's like JK Rowling, like I, you know, you wouldn't know that that's a, whether that's a man or a woman mm-hmm. um, just to pick up that, that book. And so like, I, I don't see, I've never, ever looked in like the back cover and been like, this is a white guy, this is a woman. Like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I'm, if you're, yeah, I judge the book by its cover. And if it's got an interesting cover, an interesting title, I read the back of the jacket. And if it's, if it's interesting, then, then I buy it. I yeah. don't, I don't care what the, the author looks like. And if, if there's buzz about an author, like, for sure, I'll, I'll, I should say buzz that um, from people that I, like and respect their opinion on on fantasy if it's just like you know new york times says or buzzfeed says this author is great and you must read it then i'm you know might be less inclined <laughs> but if it's if it's known for a good story then then yeah and i i, I shared with you that that synopsis um of the book that's now on on the bestseller list and like based on that synopsis and that book's success like i'm curious to read it mm-hmm. um whether whether good or bad, like I, I'm curious to read it, and so that's because uh, it must carry more weight <laughs> than, yeah. than yeah. that synopsis. For our listeners, the synopsis did not sound particularly compelling, at least to me. So that's why we were kind yeah. of giggling about it before we got on because we're like, "This is a bestseller." Okay, and I think that's that's totally fair. But so you said you have some on your backlog to read, though. So are you reading them because they're Black or because you've heard buzz about these authors from people you respect and you're like, okay, I'm putting them on my list? So what I did was I looked up Black fantasy 
science fiction. You're right, they're kind of cousins. So black sci-fi fantasy authors. And I was looking through those and like I said, most of them are kind of urban low fantasy, which isn't my isn't my jam. And so I said, no, I'm not gonna not gonna read that just for the sake of supporting a black author. But there was um, one, and I, I don't have it uh, pulled up, uh, but there was a series that was kind of, like I was mentioned, like it was based on kind of African myth um, and a fantasy novel based on that. That could be interesting. That's something that I'm curious about um, and, and how that plays out and, you know, in a world where there's not knights or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, like that. How does, how does that sort of fantasy look? I'm curious and I'm, so I, I plan on reading that because the story itself, like I'm not going to change what I want to read in terms of style for the race of the author. But if the author's putting up something that's new and sounds interesting, then yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll read that. Art, do you know of any sci-fi based off of other like kind of ancient, like, you know, you talk about knights. Uh, is there um, samurai fantasy that you've read or... I don't know, I'm failing to come up to think of another kind of ancient warrior. Um, there's, I, I haven't read that. I mean, there's there's prominent series with Greek mythology, Percy Jackson being a, a prime example um, of that, just kind of a, and that's that's its own brand, like the, the myth fantasy where you just kind of reimagine um, some of those um, ancient ideas. Um, American Gods, of course, is a, from, uh, Neil Gaiman, Gaiman. I don't know how to say his name. I read. I don't look at interviews. He's he definitely you know dabbles in that and that sort of playing with with myth yeah. a lot in that and with the the Sandman is another of his where that has is a was a graphic novel that is was made into a Netflix series um, that was quite good um, and would recommend but not not for children but um. <laughs> actually struggling to think of the the term or the word but. Um... As you know, my husband is Samoan, and so there's a lot of actually really cool Polynesian mythology that would be fun to see played out. It's kind of a fantasy genre as well, and uh, yeah, those those guys are pretty badass. Um, and so that would that would be fun yeah. to see too. I don't know if it's been done or not. Probably maybe has on a small scale. I've certainly never heard of like a New York Times bestseller that was sort of the Polynesian myth played out yeah. in fantasy, but that would be a lot of fun and of course Dwayne the Rock Johnson would have to play the lead in the movie that would (laughs) (laughs) okay I have one more question for you and then we can get into the speed round so I happen to know because I am your sister that when you when you started when this idea came to you you were not a believer you were not a Christian over the process of writing this and when you really got back into it you were a Christian you were a believer so what did that change at all the way, especially because you're, you're writing a book about gods, right? When yeah. you started, you didn't believe in God and now you do. Did that change your plot at all? Did that change your approach? Uh, it didn't change my plot because I was always kind of an agnostic believer. So that kind of, you know, always filtered into what I was, what I was writing and now it just you know having having read the bible now i have a, a you know inspiration like how do how how was it how would a very wise god speak well i, I happen to know a very <laughs> wise god here's what he happened to say so 
that that has kind of influenced um, in that sense of like how how I'm in you know injecting some some wisdom because um, it's it's funny like as you write like you you definitely take on the role of the character that you're writing mentally and so I my wife always gives me crap because I'll be reading you know and revising and I'll be laughing at my own jokes but I didn't right I didn't I didn't I didn't make those those jokes like they're just something of, for the most part I can't think of a of a you know I just thought of a punchline I worked it in I just you know everything came pretty organically so I forgot what the question was now I'm thinking your about Christian faith changing oh yeah <laughs> but so yeah I you know I I don't have and even as you take on the role of, of a character, if your character is a wise man, it doesn't mean that I'm a wise man. So I, you know, I need that something to, to be able to, to draw from and do that. Like, you know, conversation, you know, you just change your, your tone, but like, I can't come up with any, you know, proverbs for, yeah. for anybody. So I, I, I use that as, as a source, but it hasn't really changed the direction of the story at all. And because I'm just a service level fantasy reader, I'm, you know, I think my audience probably figured out by now. I'm nowhere near you in terms of, re- I've just read kind of the classics, particularly the ones that are for children. So, or for young adults, but, you know, Tolkien, Lewis, both believers, and you can see a lot of evidence of that in their books, right? Um, some of it yeah. in your face, some of it a little bit more nuanced. J.K. Rowling, as I understand it, she's not a believer, even though many people make the case. I mean, Harry Potter is a Jesus character. Um and yep. there's biblical themes all throughout her, her book because you can't help it if you live in the West, particularly, right? You, even if you aren't yeah. a believer, all of us have like a basic understanding of the Bible and those stories. Is our other fan, Do other fantasy writers tend to be believers or not? Or do you know? Um, I, think, I think it varies because you're going to have like, you tell me something like George R. Martin, probably not a, a believer. The the most prominent fantasy writer. Why do you say he's probably not a believer? Because the books are too brutal, and you don't think a Christian would write like that. Um. Yes. For for some of the topics that are, that are in there, yes, and the fact that he doesn't ad- address religion at all mm-hmm. in in his books. So there's there's religions going on, uh, or there, there's religion there's religions that exist. And they're very active in in the series, but there's no like temples, there's no churches, there's no worship. It's just like here's this one lady who believes this, who believes in this God, and there's this other person who also kind of, you know. So it's not really, it's just kind of thrown out there. It's like, yeah, there's there's a thing going on, but the the most prominent uh, fantasy writer alive today, Brandon Sanderson. Um, he is LDS. That's, those are kind of the two, the most, those are probably the two most prominent in terms of their production and, and their, how known they are outside of the, the genre. Um, so it, it varies. I've given you two prime examples and that's, that's all yeah. I've got. Yeah. No, <laughs> but, that's good. I don't, um, I don't, I don't think from, from the authors that I've read, I don't get strong, certainly not in the Tolkien or Lewis sense of like these people are believers or they're not. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, it, 
it seems like I would guess that Christian authors are maybe overrepresented in fantasy, but I don't actually know that. That's just kind of something that might, I think yeah. Christians are probably underrepresented, underrepresented as authors across all genres, but they're probably more frequent in fantasy, I would think, but maybe I'm wrong about that. Yeah. Just as a kind of a, an aside, I would suspect that Catherine Kurtz, who talked about earlier, the author of the Durini series, that revolves around a lot of medieval religion and that's something like like i said that some of those were absolutely brutal and not at all in favor of of religious hierarchy so i think that could go that that's an, just an interesting case of like is she or is she not um because i i almost wrote a letter to her because there are some scenes in in those books that were just very powerful and this was before i was a believer when i was reading this and i was like you know i like I want to pray based on like what the, some of that moved me so much. Um, and I don't know if that was her, her intent. I don't know what her beliefs are, but um, as I was, that was, I was reading those as I was becoming a Christian and I was like, it's, okay, I, I can see some people's emotional response to, to this. Um, so I don't, I don't know if she, she is or not, but she at least understands something about religion, right? Like even if she's no longer a believer, maybe she grew up in a religious home or or whatever. And it seems like if you're writing particularly fantasy, but probably any fiction, ex- at least exposure to some kind of faith probably makes you a better author, even if you aren't currently a believer. Just like I tend to believe that, ki- that people, that singers who like grew up in listening to gospel music and swinging in the choir are always better, even if they lose their faith. It always, yeah. like, they always, whenever someone's a really, like Matt Corby, or he's probably yeah. most of our readers haven't, or listeners haven't um, heard of Matt Corby, but he grew up doing the gospel thing. I don't believe, I don't think he's a believer anymore, but the dude, but he still is influenced, right? That influence yeah. never leaves him. And I think it's the same for, for literature and, and, and writing fiction, but that's just sort of a hunch I have. I don't actually have any hard yeah. data to prove that. <laughs> yeah, same thing with John Legend, Joe, Alan Stone, like yeah. all those all those guys have been yeah. influenced by the church for Absolutely. sure. Okay, cool. Let's do the 10 speed round and then we'll give you your final chance to plug any your website or anything else where people can find your work or look for it if it's you know based on the timeline that you kind of have in your head as far as when are you going to release it to the public. So are you ready to for your 10 questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Number one, MLK or Malcolm X? Malcolm X. Name a sport you would like to see in the Olympics that currently isn't in the Olympics. Dodgeball. What are your thoughts on white people having dreadlocks? I think it makes them look like drug dealers, but that's just my own bias. I'm not a big fan. (laughs) (laughs) Does pineapple go on pizza? No. Is Rachel Dolezal a bad person or misunderstood? Uh, Misunderstood. Is naming a sports team the Redskins wrong? No. The Black Panther or Blade? Blade. This is a great question. I swear this question was totally random and you got it. The best book you've read this year so far? Um, oh, goodness. It's so late in the year. I've got to think about so many. Um, most recently, the... I can't even remember the name. It was book five in Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Okay. What's the biggest misconception about you? Um, there's no conceptions about me. So, um, <laughs> people never have wrong first impressions about you. Um, I've, people think I'm, I'm harsh. 
I think they, they think I'm making fun of them, but I'm usually making fun of myself. <laughs> so that, that's what I would say is like everything is pointed towards me, not, not at anybody else. Okay. And question 10, Black History Month, yay or nay? Nay. All right. Those are the 10 questions. Where can people look to support you, read your stuff? Uh, we're, we're, we're recording this quite a bit before we'll actually publish it. So the hope is just for our listeners sake, the hope is we'll publish an excerpt, a chapter, something like that from Dylan's book on the journal of free black thought, eventually not sure when that will be. But other than that, what else do you have for us, Dylan? DylanFMorgan.com is, is the website. Um, there are links there to Twitter and um, Instagram and, and Facebook pages. You know, I'm not published yet. Um, I haven't put anything out to the public. Hopefully, um, waiting on a um, couple couple last things, a cover to, to come in and um, last little bit of edits for the first book. But um, definitely in the next, you know, towards the end of this year, 2023, um, we'll be seeing some more movement in that direction. Um, and excerpts be put on, on my website as well. Yes. And, you know, this is this is my younger brother that I'm interviewing, but I just want to tell folks it is good. I am not just saying that as his sister. And I know everybody says, I'm not just saying that. But truly, I'm the type of person that if he wrote a book and I thought it wasn't that great, I wouldn't have him on the podcast, right? It was me that invited my brother to come on the podcast. It wasn't him asking me to show up. So I think this is, you know, we've all read a lot of bad fiction out there. So the bar is pretty low, to be honest. Sometimes you read stuff, you're like, how did this get published? It's so bad. But certainly I was up later than I wanted to be reading your book at times, you know, because I just had to know what happened next. Uh, I think it's well done and I'm proud of you and I hope to see you be successful. For some reason, folks, my, my brother's a dentist and he says that he like likes it. He enjoys it and just wants to keep <laughs> being a dentist. So he's really not into pushing the publishing his book that hard because he's actually very satisfied with his career, which blows my mind. But that's just another way that you're blessed, I guess. And so uh, I'm hoping to see you you push the, the publication thing a little bit harder. And I hope that uh, folks will read it and enjoy it and maybe give you some good feedback too. And you'll continue to grow and develop as an author. Yeah, I, I appreciate the support now because when I was young, uh, I used to call my books freak books. So I'm glad we've moved on past Not that. Not books that you wrote, now. right? You're talking about that's, books. That's true. That's the books I read, yes. Well, so I mean, my, they my have like orcs on them and stuff. And I was yeah, 12. You think <laughs> <laughs> Trolls and yeah, all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. Which this book doesn't have, but I would still... I'm not against trolls of books, okay, guys? Like, I can read books with orcs and trolls and stuff like that. But he read a lot, okay? My mom was concerned. <laughs> yeah yeah well and i would say you know I'm, i don't take anything personally i do this as a hobby so anybody's you know takes a look at it and tells me it's it's good bad um it's not going to hurt my feelings because i i set out to do this um you know obviously i had the story in mind but after reading something that i thought was was not great and if, if somebody wants to humble me and say that i'm hot garbage <laughs> too i'm i'm all i'm here for it you know well, I volunteer as tribute. I will tell you you're hot garbage. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, wait, we never mentioned the Hunger Games at all. It's crazy. Okay. Thanks, Dylan, for coming on, and I'll see you at the next family dinner or whatever we do next as a family. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. You're listening to the Free Black Thought Podcast.